millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others and leading guests from the world of women's football. Cuts back onto her right foot oh. and finds the net. On TalkSport 2. Welcome to Women's Football Weekly. The Serena Viedman era got off to a winning start as the Lionesses, but eight past North Macedonia. It was an unforgettable evening for Leah Williamson, who captained England's senior side for the first time after Steph Horton pulled out of the squad. It's, it's been a really great past day, and obviously leading the team out will yeah, probably be the, the biggest honour of my life. And the England head coach, Serena Wiegmann, has had her say on FIFA's plans for a biennial World Cup. Where are the, where are the players going to get some rest and where are they going to recover from a very intense football year every year in a row? Uh, and players are not robots, so I don't think it's a very good idea. We'll be discussing that later and looking ahead to England's game against Luxembourg on Tuesday night, as well as reflecting on big wins for Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Plus, we'll be chatting to Brighton's Emily Simpkins about her side's fantastic start to the season. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson from Arsenal Women and you can follow the WSL on TalkSport 2. Hello, hello. Happy Monday. It comes around quickly, doesn't it? It's me and producer Flo with you for today's show with a sprinkling of superb guests along the way. We are going to be kicking things off with England, though. We'll delve into Serena Wigman's comments about FIFA's biennial World Cup idea a little bit later. But, Flo, you were at St Mary's for the new England head coach's opening match, a winning start to her England career after that 8-0 thrashing of North Macedonia. The stats in this game are pretty crazy and England probably should have been into double figures on Friday night. Yeah, definitely think they should have done. Um, I think it was it was an enjoyable night for the fans and that's what Serena Vigmund focused on in her pre-match. She really wanted to entertain the fans. Obviously, hadn't seen that England side in a very long time. Um, but I think for the first sort of 10 minutes or so before Ella Toon got that goal, it did feel like 
everyone had forgotten their shooting, shooting boots. I mean, I know Ian Wright was on the punditry team and he was a little bit disappointed because it could have been 20 nil, to be honest, frankly. Um, so, so, so many chances. And obviously against tougher opposition, you can't be wasting those. So I know in the post-match and, and very much this morning as well, Suna Vingman was definitely focusing on the fact that they've got to do better going forward. Yeah, they really do. 48 shots, 18 of those on target, which by my maths means... 30 way off target 81% possession they had as well 3-0 in the first half and you know I, I watched the match and there were so many missed chances it was one of those really difficult moments where you're thinking is this just rustiness because they've not played together for quite a long time is are there nerves under the the new head coach everybody wanting to, to impress or was it just one of those nights I think it was. I think it was a bit of everything, to be honest. I think players that haven't really played that much together at all under Serena Vigman. Um, it's been a disjointed, what, two years since Phil Neville left getting an interim coach, but it took a while for her to be appointed. Some players were in Tokyo, some weren't. Some players like Beth Mead, Alex Greenwood are coming back in, having been left out of the squad. So I think it was a bit of a mismatch, a very attacking lineup as well. I don't think no, they had basically a front four. Normally they wouldn't be playing with so many players up top. Um, but I thought what was the most positive factor, I think, about Friday night was probably just the energy and the vibe, which is hard to explain, I think, if you're watching at home. But I imagine, I hope some people felt that, but certainly I think for the crowd and the press that were watching, there was a much different energy to the England side. I think they looked really positive in the way that they're playing and just in their body language, they looked refreshed, they looked excited. And that's obviously easy to do when you're scoring eight goals but all in all I just think everyone looked really excited to be there and there was just a yeah a fresh energy to them and I think that's really important with what Serena Vigman's done with the squad is there's a greater competition for places as well which I think is really important I think everyone's looking quite energised always helps having fans in the stadium as well doesn't it um, let's hear from the England head coach though because you mentioned there that it was an attacking lineup almost with four at the front ironic in that case that they missed so many chances particularly in that first half and she was pretty honest after the game admitting that it was a bit of a waste yeah well I think the performance was okay it was good um, we wanted to create a lot of chances and I think um, um, we have we have created lots of chances uh, we scored eight well actually we scored six they scored two and um, but I think we should have scored lots lots more goals uh, we should have been a little a little better in, in the final third just the final decision uh, just the final touch to score the goal but still uh, we have the nil we scored eight and I think it's a very good start and I'm proud of the team Look we're going to talk about the opponents later on in the show because you know you, you would expect to score goals like that against uh, a team ranked 131 in the world but let's focus on on England first and foremost I personally was really delighted to see Mary Earps back in goal. She's had a little bit of a, a love-hate relationship, it's felt, with England recently. Been really surprised to see her out of the side, particularly for some of her performances for Manchester United last season. But she's back in the fold and she had a great game. 
Yeah, and I think I think Molly Hudson did an interview with her at the Times about her having been out of of the squad since that game at Wembley. So the fact that she was picked for that historic game at Wembley against Germany in which England lost under Phil Neville. And then this game on Friday was the first time she played since then. So it was obviously a bit of a strange moment for her. Her family were there and she had a, a nice chat with them afterwards. And I think there are elements to her domestic performances that I think means she deserves that spot. I still do think there's an erraticness to Mary Earps. I think she's a brilliant shot stopper but sometimes she can make mistakes that are quite big mistakes because they lead to goals and That's I think every goalkeeper though. And I, I know it's every goalkeeper but I think she's she's someone that draws a lot of attention in that way whereas I think there's other Ellie Roebuck for example I would never say that I think there's a solid consistent more reliable uh reliable reliability to Ellie Roebuck than I would have with Mary Earps but I still think you know Mary Earps is older than, than Roebuck she's 28 now I think she definitely deserves another chance mm. um but it's also really interesting Man United have brought in Sophie Bagley a very young talented goalkeeper I think she's only 24 um and so there might be a bit of a fight for that number one spot at Man United Earps is really popular with the fans she's signed new contract till next year so I think she will keep that shirt but it's good for her to now have someone kind of you know looking she's looking over her shoulder a little bit more because that'll probably push her on and I think you know it's good to see people get more opportunities because you never never want to see someone just be you know chucked out the England squad and never come back so I think it's important that Serena Vigman has a look at these players yeah absolutely I, I tell you who I was most impressed with was Rachel Daly at right back. Massive performance, bearing in mind her dad had died earlier on in the week. We spoke last week, didn't we, before we went on air. Of We thought she may pull out of the squad, but that's just testament to the incredible character that Rachel Daly has, that not only did she want to continue with, with the Lionesses, she went on and had such a good game and you could just see the steely look in her eyes that she was determined to make this an impressive performance. Kept a clean sheet as well. Uh, got player of the, uh, of the match, um, awarded that by her teammates and it was a really poignant night for her and her family. Yeah, a really emotional, a really emotional evening. I think for 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 everyone. I mean, I certainly was really emotional watching the video of Leah Williamson giving her the man of the match trophy, just seeing how good her performance was. All it was missing was a goal. If she had got a goal, I think the whole stadium would have been in tears because she shared such an emotional message on social media about her dad. He was a huge fan of hers, mm. obviously. He travelled around the world to watch her play, had watched her play in an England shirt so many times, and it was. I think it was just really important for her to do what. Obviously, her dad loved seeing her do. And I think to have the whole support, Serena Bigman, all her teammates, all the coaches, all the fans. And, and you know, I've, I'm someone who's never been massively sure about Rachel Daly playing at right back. But she looked fantastic. And, and given the injury issues for, for England there at the moment, I think it was a really solid decision to play her there. And it's just great to see her thriving. And I think all in all, a, a really exciting performance when you look at who really starred. And Bethany England came off the bench as well, looked really fresh. Nikita Paris looked brilliant. Um, and it's just, I think it's, it's given an excitement around England that I think has been missing for a really long time. I finally felt for the first time in a few years. It's really exciting to watch this England team now. I didn't dread it as much. You know, we were talking about those uh, friendlies earlier in the year, the ones against Canada and France, which were just quite 
stodgy. They're a bit meh. Yeah, they? meh, quite negative performances mm. that weren't really enjoyable to watch at all. And I think there was just this lightness, this excitement, again, that, that's been so lacking. Well, it's the new era, isn't it? They were in a transitional phase. You know, there's, it's not Hege Reese's fault at all, but really difficult for players to want to turn it on when they know that although there's going to be a scouting report given to the future England head coach, the person that you're trying to impress really you're only trying to... Well, I mean, they were trying to impress her for the Olympics, which we found out eventually took a while to, to, to know that that's who they were going to have to impress for that. But, you know, I, I think this new era feels quite exciting. I met Serena Wiegmann last week and she was just incredible and she's got her own steeliness that I think she wants to make her mark on this England team. She knows that as a foreign coach, you almost have an additional battle uh, that you have to overcome. Um, it was a fantastic night for Leah Williamson though and I'm so pleased that Serena Wiegmann decided to give the armband to her because it was only announced hours before before kickoff because Steph Horton had to pull out of the squad after picking up an injury in training on Thursday. We've had Leah in the studio on this show many times um, and she's an incredible athlete um, and a real leader despite her young age. So let, let's hear from her about the moment she found out she was getting that armband. Yeah, I think I just laughed um, when Serena told me to begin with. I thought I was in trouble. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, nice news uh, to receive. It's nice. I, like I say, I don't think it's something that you necessarily always seek. It's not something that's ever been on my agenda. Um, I don't think it is on anybody's but to be recognised as somebody that, that um, yeah, to take the responsibility to lead the team out is, is uh, yeah, nice that, that's, that she thought that of me. She said it's not been on her agenda, but I'm pretty sure we had a conversation here on Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 where she said she'd love to be a captain in the future. Uh, and she certainly has those credentials. A, a fantastic night for her and her family. And her England teammate Demi Stokes also told TalkSport earlier on today uh, that Captain Lee is a pretty cool customer. Um, I think a good, a good leader. I think obviously she brings you know many qualities um she's experienced she's young and i think obviously you know that's why serena picked her but i think obviously serena could have picked anyone in the squad as we are all leaders in our own right but i think Le leah brings um she's very cool she's very calm and i think that's good for the team um and i think most importantly she's leah and she just brings you know herself um, and that's what we want in this team is to bring yourself, be comfortable with you know who you are, and um, and it's about just doing that even though you do have the you know the captain armband. It was quite a statement from Serena Wiegmann when you think that Leah Williamson's one of the younger members of the team, and there are you know members of the Lionesses who, who've been with the side much longer than than, than she has, older as well and, and more experienced. Perhaps a little bit of surprise that that she was given it. Yeah, I mean, you heard in that clip that she was surprised herself, to be <laughs> honest. Um, I think there is there is a certain expectation that's always just going to be the most senior, experienced and oldest person in the squad. But cap Leah has captained England in, in the younger age groups and she's captained Arsenal. She's been playing for so long, actually, that age kind of doesn't matter now. You've been playing, you know, since you were 16 at a very high level. So I think you can tell how she's respected from her teammates. And actually, Serena Vigman shared today that she had no decision in, that, in who was going to take the penalty on Friday night. It was actually... 
Lear and Ellen White that decided it was going to be Ellen White because obviously Steph Horton wasn't there. Ellen White doesn't usually take penalties. So I think that's an interesting... And Serena even made the point to say, you know, I think it just shows her leadership that she had the, the confidence to take that decision herself. Yeah, let's hear from the... England captain herself, Steph Horton, shall we? Because obviously she was asked about the captain's armband going forward. She's 33 years old now and she has been picking up some niggling injuries over the last uh, couple of years. Let's hear what she's had to say. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've had a conversation. Me and Serena had a really good conversation last night and um, fortunately I I am the captain for the next couple of games, uh, which is amazing because it's an absolute honour to be England captain, but um, we are realistic in the fact that she's getting to know the group, she's getting to know how we work as a team and um, just getting to know everybody. So I think for me personally, it's an unbelievable honour to be able to do that over the next couple of games and lead the team that I normally have done over the last few seasons and years. Um, but regardless of whether I have an armband or not, I'll still be the same leader that I'll always be for the girls and um, yeah, but just really looking forward to working underneath her and uh, hopefully learning a lot more about my game and for the team as well. So that was Steph Horton speaking before she had to pull out um, with injury, of course. And, and it sounds a little bit there like she's not been given any assurances, perhaps, that she's going to be England captain under Serena Wiegmann going forward, Flo. Yeah, I think I think there's probably just uh, an honesty from her and acknowledgement that this could be the end of the road. Um, I do think it's really important what Serena Vigman's done in terms of giving old players, new players opportunities. And I think part of that refresh and that restart might be getting a new captain in. Steph's done a fantastic job, obviously massively experienced, but I do think this is the start of a new journey, like you said. And we've seen how the US have been impacted by maybe not refreshing enough. And they did actually change their captain in the USA. But I do think perhaps going in a different direction could be a really positive thing for this England side. As she says, though, she's always going to be a leader on the pitch, no matter what, isn't she, Steph Horton? An incredible, incredible athlete and competitor. Uh, right, you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faye Carruthers. Flo Lloyd-Hughes is with me as well. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Tom Gary from The Telegraph to discuss the gap in resources across women's football globally and the top-heavy nature of World Cup qualifying. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Others, and producer Flo Lloyd-Hughes is alongside me. Don't forget, if you do miss any of our shows or you want to listen again, our podcast is available on the TalkSport app, so just go ahead and download it today. Uh, right, we talked about the stats in England's match against North Macedonia who are ranked 131 in the world by FIFA. 48 shots, 18 shots on target, 81% possession. So the question is, is the current World Cup qualification format in urgent need of reform? And one man who may have some of the answers, or at least some suggestions on how to improve it, is Tom Gary from The Telegraph. How are you doing, Tom? Good evening, Faye. Good evening, Flo. Yeah, really well, thank you. Hope you're both well too. We certainly are. I read your article earlier on today with some of your suggestions. The fact that you referred uh, to the qualification process being as competitive as a race between a greyhound and a shih tzu really had me chuckling. (laughs) Well, isn't that just sort of roughly equivalent to the huge disparity in in the competition at the moment, don't you think? I mean, I find some of the games that uh, the players on both sides of this you know, have to go through uh, quite absurd. Uh, and we're not really necessarily just talking about England here. I mean, we're talking about France beating Greece 
10-0, Spain beating the Faroe Islands 10-0, Norway beating Armenia 10-0, Germany were also 7-0 winners. I mean, it was, uh, we could go on. It was a long list of very, very one-sided affairs, and there's more to come, realistically. We know tomorrow night, look, I mean, this is a Luxembourg side, ranked 122nd in the world. They were beaten 4-0 by a Northern Ireland side, who were beaten in turn 6-0 by England in the February in uh, in a friendly in February. So, uh, yeah, there's a big golf, um, and it's no, it's not the fault of the players. You know, the North Macedonians work their socks off on, on Friday night, so they put in a huge shift. Um, but it's you know, it's amateur against world class pros, and and surely it's time for for a bit of a rethink. Tom, I don't, I don't massively like the phrase "devil's advocate," but is there a positive to take with the fact that this huge gap, at least? brings attention to the fact that we need to invest in the rest of football around Europe or UEFA, not we, I don't have any money. UEFA <laughs> needs to support you want it out, <laughs> and needs to support and invest in women's football across the continent in order to close the gap. They need to fund and they need to put pressure on the national associations to fund. Obviously it's not possible for all of them. But do you at least think what this does is it really draws attention to that? Whereas if there was pre qualifying, perhaps you would lose that because the gaps would be closer together yeah that's a really good point and i guess one thing i I, I would take two things to that the first is that um yes it would be nice if um uefa were to kind of redistribute some of the money that goes into prize funds for men's competitions into the women's game you know to help the developing nations put more into their women's setup yes i think so but secondly i think actually the um if if nations like North Macedonia and Luxembourg and Armenia and others, I think if they had, if they saw their national team winning more matches, then they might be more inclined to invest. At the moment, those those governing bodies of the North Macedonian FA, they just see their women's team repeatedly getting thrashed. So I guess they're wondering what the incentive is to put any money into it because they think, well, we're just going to waste the money. Whereas if they saw them playing against countries with similar uh, financial resources and therefore picking up some more results, they might say, "Well, actually, we've got some, they might realise they've got some good players here, you know." And, and if we if we supported them a bit more, we could beat Kosovo, we could beat Russia, we could beat Azerbaijan, you know, we could we could get a result against uh, Moldova, and they might be more inclined. Whereas I think if I was running the North Macedonian FA at the moment and I was someone who didn't really support women's football, which obviously I do, but if I was, you know, then I would see them lose 8-0 to England and concede 48 shots and think, well, what, what is the point in me putting money into this because it's just going to disappear? It, it's not just that. You make a really good point, Tom. It's, it's how does it actually help them? How does it help the players in terms of confidence when they're getting uh, hit by these kind of scores? I mean, back in, in 2014, they lost 15-0 to, to Italy. There's not much improvement there with eight. I mean, you could argue that they've halved the, the, the deficit, if you like. But at the same time, it's not great for those players. They know they're going to get thrashed when they go into these kind of games. And as you say, it doesn't actually help their football. But on the flip side, it also doesn't really help England or France or Spain or Norway or Germany because they're sitting there saying, you know, what do we learn about our players because they're not going to be as tight against a team like North Macedonia. They're going to, they're not going to play the same kind of match that they would do against a, a competitive team on the, a similar level to them, are they? No, you make a hugely important point. Uh, uh, but I would also say that we could, across the whole sport, we could get bigger crowds if games were more 
we knew the games were going to be more competitive. I mean, it was around 8,000, wasn't it, at St Mary's on Friday night. Um, but, you know, if that opposition had been a Denmark or, or a Sweden or, or, or Spain or, 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 you know, any of the home nations, for example, then I'm pretty confident we would have seen something similar to to the 20,000, 25,000 that we, we know that, that started to become the norm for England home qualifiers before before COVID. And, and I, you know, I, I, that would be, I'm sure that would be replicated across across Europe. Um, hey, I, I don't know if you're one of those guys who just sort of criticises a, a plan and doesn't kind of propose an alternative. But I, I guess I, I should say, you know, I'm sure we could think of several good ways to, to, to fix this. But I guess my my suggestion would be to really go to a two a two-tiered system where you know where the higher-ranked sides play each other in a group, and majority would, would qualify automatically, and perhaps those who maybe struggle in a in a, in a top-tier group would then go into a playoff with the winners of of the lower-tiered sides. You know, so so you can still, if you are a North Macedonia or Estonia or or you know Moldova, you can still aspire to qualify if you were to win all the games you know against the lower-ranked side and then go into a playoff against. Against some somebody else, that's not possible. Uh, but uh, that would be my suggestion. I know others have talked about having like a pre-qualifying format where you kind of, um, you know, the low rank sides play each other first in a knockout, to, and a couple might get through. Um, I think there's pros and cons of each, but um, hopefully, one way or another, when we come round to the qualifying process for the 2027 World Cup, we're not going to be going through this again. And uh, and you know, in four years' time, England aren't going to have to play home and away against. Against you know more minnows because the, uh, at least six of the qualifying games in this current process look like complete gimmies. Tom, do you know it, it, ahead of the twenty twenty seven qualifying qualification process? It, do you know if FIFA are consulting on that at the moment, or is it just a hope that that might change? No, it's just a hope at the moment. I mean, I've asked the question. It, uh, I think it seems to be too early in the in the, the process for them to make those decisions right now, although they, they are currently having a consultation about the whole calendar, um, which you know, we've heard in recent days and recent hours. I'm sure you've heard lots about the possibility of the biannual World Cup, but you know, I understand that kind of as part of that discussion, the whole calendar is being looked at, and it might be that some people within the sport feel that a major rethink is needed in terms of you know, how many international breaks we have, and that's a, that's a wider discussion for men's and and women's football, but um, you know, I, I, I sounds as though from the you know the, the, the noises coming out of FIFA in the last fortnight that you know a lot of things are open to evolution and, and discussion. We we heard recently from uh, Jill Ellis, who's just been appointed in the last week or so to a new role advising on women's football international calendar, and she seems quite open to you know various. I think the words were, I'm open to anything that will help the game grow. So they seem to have an open mind. And I guess I would like to hope that that would include things like the qualifiers and and so that we, you know, we don't have to, we could, yeah, we just, we can surely England's players would, would, would improve more if, if they were up against stronger nations on a more regular basis. Um, and that can only help the sport as a spectacle, as, as a player, continues to get better and better and better. Yeah, as I understand it, Tom, um, I've been privy to some conversations going on behind the scenes with FIFA, and as I understand it, uh, women's football is being looked at alongside what they're planning to do and want to do uh, with the men's football calendar. And when we talk about the Biennial World Cup as an example, as I understand it, there was a thought process that perhaps... Um, the World Cup would be held in the August after the Men's World Cup 
uh, was going to be held. My argument to that was very much the best thing about the Women's World Cup currently and the Euros as well is that they tend to be in years when there are no other sporting fixtures uh, going on to take any focus away from live sport and that live sport being women's football and that's how you grow the game in my opinion if you start having a world cup in august which is one of the dates proposed um in very you know plans in in their infancy that obviously need a lot of ratifying and a lot of uh, stakeholders to agree with that actually that's when the start of the Premier League is, for example. And so a whole host of people who've been fans of women's football because they're following... We're using England, I know we're talking globally, but I'm using England as an example, uh, following the Lionesses and their exploits in, in, in both the European Championships and in, in the World Cup, all of a sudden they're competing with the Premier League. And those fans are fans of Premier League football clubs and that will win out over and above... Um, any women's football tournament for, for those who have a preference for Premier League football whereas you have a captive audience in a in a summer where there's no other sport going on no, you're, you're spot on I think there's a lot of people in, in the women's game who, who would really strongly oppose uh, you know the, the, the women's World Cup being cl- clashing with, with the start of, of domestic you know top flight men's leagues around the world the other, the other thing to think about with August as well there really importantly in the UK is by that point all of our um, you know lower league domestic women's leagues would not normally have started playing mm. and, and quite a lot of the people who would go and who would want to go and support the Lionesses for example would you know would play women's football on a weekend for, for their club and that, that's tens of thousands of, of women and girls across the country who would you know be unable to do both of, of playing or, or going and, and, and supporting the Lionesses in, in a tournament. So that's another factor to think about. Now, I, I mean, uh, personally, uh, my suspicion with a lot of this is that the women's game is a secondary afterthought, as mm. sadly happens too often with, with some of the big decision-making. Um, I think a lot of the talk I've heard around biannual World Cups has, has been really focused on what it would mean for the men's game. And very few people have, in senior, senior positions on the men's side have really considered the impact on the women's game properly. Um, I've not, I've actually, honestly, I've not, I've spoken to lots of people at clubs, club level about this. I'm yet to speak to anybody at a WSL club who is behind the idea of, of changing the current World Cup. Well, if, if there's somebody out there working for a, uh, for a women's, a women's side, please, uh, get into, I would love to hear from someone who, who thinks it's a good idea. But uh, yeah, so far from many dozens of conversations that I've not yet met anyone in, in the English women's game at the, on the club side of things that who, who thinks it's a good idea. Yeah, me neither. And I can tell you one person who doesn't think it's a good idea, and it is the New England head coach, Serena Viegman. She was asked today about what she thinks about this new World Cup cycle idea from four years to every two, and she's also firmly against it. Because I think it's not very good for the players, for the for their welfare. Uh, in in Europe, it's very well organized. We have very good competitions. We have the Euros, uh, then you have the Olympics, then you have two times, oh, then you have the the World Cup, which are major tournaments for us uh, from Europe. Uh, and I think when you have all these tournaments every year, uh, where are the where are the players going to get some rest? Um, and where they're going to recover from a very intense football year every year in a row. Uh, and players are not robots, so I don't think it's a very good idea. 
No, they're certainly not robots, Serena. We know that. Um, the one thing before I let you go, uh, Tom, and because this kind of snuck out of nowhere um, late last week, we haven't actually discussed it. So keep your answer short because we're running out of time and I'm so sorry, I'm so bad at timekeeping. Um, but the replacement for the She Believes Cup that England have announced sounds very exciting. Anybody who might have missed that, can you explain it? Yeah, so instead of playing in the She Believes Cup or, or the Algarve Cup or one of those other tournaments that normally runs in sort of February's international window, uh, England are going to host their own tournament to help their preparations for, for the Euro. So uh, they're going to play against uh, G- Germany, Spain uh, and one other country. Um, now, something concerned to the other country would be, but uh, my understanding is that Australia are quite strong contenders purely because of the you know, the high number of Aussies are in the WSL. So that's something to look out for. We're expecting the games to be hosted in the north of England. Uh, all details to be confirmed. But yeah, February's international break. England will have three games against high-caliber opposition. So yeah, something to really look forward to for the Serena Beekman's team. Very much looking forward to that. Awesome stuff as ever, Tom. Take care. Have a good week. Tom Gary from The Telegraph there. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 with Faker Others and Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Uh, next up, we're going to be chatting to Brighton's Emily Simpkins about the Seagulls' fantastic start to the WSL season. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sports 2 with me, Faker Rothers, and producer extraordinaire Flo Lloyd-Hughes. What a start to a season it's been for Brighton and Hove Albion under Hope Powell. They've won their opening two games, not conceded a goal, scored seven and a top of the table. Impressive. To discuss this, I'm delighted to say Brighton midfielder Emily Simpkins joins us now on Women's Football Weekly. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing very well, thank you. And thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming on. Delighted to be able to give big kudos to Brighton for their star. It's just been incredible for you. It has. And just that little introduction you did there, two clean sheets, 
seven goals and out of them seven we've had six different goal scorers which is nice for us as well um and yeah one game at a time um that's it and six points I'll tell you what, you say one game at a time, but actually you've got quite a, a kind start to the season and to try and get those points on the board early doors is, is really important, isn't it? Um, Aston Villa next up on Sunday, then an FA Cup quarter final to look forward to as well. Last season's FA Cup, by the way. We haven't fast-forwarded yeah. the season that quickly. Um, against Charlton, which, you know, Charlton going great guns under under Karen Hills, but I'm presuming you'd, you'd like to go as far as you can in that competition as well. Yeah, of course. Like you said, it's, it's going to be a busy few weeks for us. Um, and like you said, at Charlton, we'll do our analysis on them. Um, it's going to be a tough game. Well, every game in this league is tough. Um, but it is nice as well with them first two wins. We can continue that momentum because um, we're playing with confidence. So we want we want to keep going. Does that confidence come from the investment that Brighton as a club have, have put into the women's team? You've got your new training facilities where, where the men's tra- where the men's team train absolutely yeah. incredible. But, but they take oh. it so seriously. That's huge, isn't it? Oh, honestly, the facilities like you might have seen um, recently on the internet and, and online are phenomenal. They're literally like state-of-the-art and it does allow us. It's lovely being in the same place as the men's team as well, who, uh, again, have won five out of four out of five games. So everybody at the minute is on such a high. Um, and just going back to the facilities, it just gives us the best possible chance to perform. Like straight after sessions, we're into recovery. We're playing on pitches where we can get that intensity. Um, and yeah, that well, that confidence comes from training well, um, recovering well and doing the best we can. Emily, obviously you guys finished, what was it, sixth last season and went on that really good run of, of record wins under Hope. So what are the realistic expectations for this season? Because I don't think many would have seen you topping the table a few weeks in. So <laughs> what, what are you guys actually, you know, thinking about, well, can we actually push for the top four? I mean, what are your, what's Hope's ambition for you and what are your ambitions? Um Hope sets us such high standards and and we want to just keep putting those performances in. That's the biggest thing for us, consistent performances when we do play. Um, but on the back of last season, it was a good finish for us. But this season, again, we're looking to improve that. Um, and I believe we can. I think you can as well. I think, you know, with the investment, with the team, as you say, six different goal scorers on, on the score sheet, there's versatility in this side for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Hope's obviously been in the women's game for for a long time, been at Brighton uh, for a very long time as well. You've been at, cl- at the club since 2018. What, mm-hmm. what other changes have you seen um, in this Brighton team that makes you think that they can be knocking on the door for for breaking into that top three perhaps at some point soon? Like you said, since I joined in 2008, every year um, Hope has made improvements to the squad. So she's she's very careful who she brings in and who she keeps. So she's kept that core and worked and worked like tirelessly along with the other staff um, to build a culture where it's a real togetherness. Um, so then anybody that does come in, the individuals that do come in, because she doesn't make such big changes to the squad, it's easy for that transition for them. So it's like not a, a lot of new faces. Um, and I believe it's that culture and our togetherness, um, which has proved on the back end of last year 
what a team like working hard and a team performance can achieve. Yeah, certainly. You've got Aston Villa, as I said, next up on on Sunday. Similar kind of performance needed. Yeah, for sure. Look, it's going to be a, a another tough game for us, um, but we we're keen to keep on and push on with our momentum that we've done in the first two games. Um, but it is going to be a challenge. Just finally, before we let you go, do you think the Chelsea match the following week is going to be the real mark of what you can achieve this season? Um, I, th- I think we've we've kind of showing it in every game, and we treat every game as as if it's a Chelsea, if it's a, a top team. But again, touching on what we did last season, we can pick up points. If not one point, we pick up three from the big teams. Um, we did it last year against Chelsea. Why not again? We did exactly. Yeah, we've got that confidence. We've known from that experience we can we can beat the big teams, um, and I believe it's also on Sky, which is nice as well. Absolutely, loads of investment from all quarters at the moment in the women's game. Thank you so much for joining us, Emily. Much appreciated. Good luck. Oh, pleasure uh, for both your games coming up in the next week. Oh, thank you very much. Take, Take care. care. Brighton midfielder Emily Simpkins there. Uh, let's take a look at the return of the Women's Super League this weekend with now. Women's Football Weekly Preview on TalkSport 2 with a Now Sports membership. Stream weekly weekend matches from the Women's Super League live without a contract from just 9 99 Search Now Sports 18+. plus. Stream via internet. Terms apply. Okay, some big games this weekend. Everton against Birmingham is an 11.30 kickoff on Saturday. Everton haven't had a great start to the season, looking to bounce back against a struggling Birmingham City side. How do you see this playing out, Flo? I think Everton will bounce back. Um, there's obviously they've got a lot of players who haven't been on international duty. Tony Duggan, Izzy Christensen didn't make the England squad and I think they'll be fired up and ready to blow off the cobwebs, I think, and impress after a very difficult start to the season. Yeah, it has been. I think they were they were everybody's kind of dark horses for the season, so I think they'll be quite disappointed with themselves how it's gone. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like Brighton are kind of taking the spot that Everton left there. Um, And I think it just shows that, like Emily said, that spirit can count for a lot. That belief can count for a lot. And she said Hope's been very focused on keeping the core together and Everton have brought so many players. It's going to take time for them to gel. Yeah, it really is. Arsenal Man City, though, is going to be an absolute corker. 6.45 kickoff on Sunday night. Arsenal flying high with a near fully fit squad as well. The only thing that slightly disappoints me about this one is it's the North London Derby at 4.30 on on Sunday in the Premier League. So fans aren't going to be able to go from one to the other, which I find quite frustrating. Yeah, so do I. And obviously we see it a lot with the the big big women's teams who also have very successful men's teams, the Chelsea's, the Man City's, the Arsenal's, um, because they often clash on the Sunday because they're going to be on the Super Sunday men's coverage and now they're going to be on the Super Sunday women's coverage. (laughs) So yeah, it'll be... be, But I think the brilliant thing about Boreham Wood is they get really good crowds there anyway because Arsenal women have a really strong following regardless. So it's only going to be a problem for people like Tim Stillman who have to make some kind of decision of where they're going. But I think think it'll still will be definitely a sellout and a good atmosphere. Bring on that double header. Then you only need one set of <laughs> exactly, camera teams, don't you? Um, Arsenal flying high, though, a near fully fit squad. City, uh, the complete opposite, though. I mean, their injury list is just piling up, isn't it? Ellie Roebuck, Lucy Bronze, Esme Morgan's fractured her shin, Caroline Weir, Steph Horton, Hayley Rasso. You're not looking good for Gareth Taylor. 
No, it's it's a really difficult one. Um, I'm intrigued to see who's going to start on on Sunday. Um, Georgia Stanway will probably fill in at right wing back. I think Haley Razzo could play there, but I don't know if she's going to be fit enough. So it's it could be a fairly patched together City team. And Arsenal just full of beans, full of confident. Beth Mead is absolutely flying mm. for England as well. So if I was Manchester City, I'd be quite terrified right now. Yeah, I mean early markers. Uh, being laid down aren't they at the start of the season uh, right that was a look ahead to this weekend's women's super league action with now don't forget with a now sports membership you can stream the women's super league including everton birmingham city and arsenal manchester city live this weekend on sky sports without a contract all you need to do is search now sports women's football weekly preview on talk sport 2 with a now sports membership stream weekly weekend matches from the women's super league live without a contract from just 9.99 search now sports 18 plus stream via internet terms apply Listen, there's also going to be that Arsenal-Manchester City game is going to be on the TalkSport network this Sunday as well. We'll also have Manchester United versus Chelsea at 12.30. Both mouth-watering ties flow. We've touched on Arsenal's match against City, but Man U-Chelsea, wowza. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how Man United play against a bigger side because I've been impressed with their start to the season. I think their defence looks really good. Hannah Blundell is going to be playing against her old club. She's a really good start to the season. So I'm really intrigued to see how Man United do against a Chelsea side, which I think is still finding their feet after a really busy summer for a lot of their players. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait for that. Live commentary on the TalkSport Network this Sunday. Uh, right, you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Ruthers. Next, we're going to be rounding up the rest of the home nation's qualifying action and looking ahead to England's game against Luxembourg tomorrow night. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football with me, Faker Others, and producer Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Now, it's a positive start for all the home nations as all of them won their opening round of games. Uh, Wales were 6-0 winners over Kazakhstan, Rachel Rowe with a screamer, two for Brighton's Kaylee Green, Tash Harding, Gemma Evans and Kerry Holland all getting on the score sheet. An impressive showing from Wales flow and they've got uh, Estonia away up next. Yeah, I mean, just to probably go back to what we were talking to Tom about, I think it shows probably the gap across the continent, the fact that teams that England have blown away recently, Northern Ireland specifically 6-0 win recently for England, that the fact that these teams are beating some of the other teams in Europe by big score lines just really shows the gap. I mean, it's brilliant for the home nations because it shows the growth and the investment and the backing that a lot of them are getting, which is just brilliant for British women's football. But it also just shows how vast this gap is that that those sides who are, a lot of them don't have fully professional national teams yet in terms of players that are all, all playing in professional teams can do that. Um, it's just, yeah, is it, is a little bit mad. But yeah, I think it's great to see that they're all off to winning starts because especially for Wales and Northern Ireland Northern Ireland got qualified for the Euros next summer but Wales have come so close in the past mm. to qualifying for these major tournaments that with some of the talent they have they've really got to give themselves a really good chance and, and definitely qualify for a playoff yeah they certainly do Scotland putting themselves in a, a very good position and they face the Faroe Islands uh, on Tuesday night at Hampden Park as well which will be phenomenal I'm sure that atmosphere uh, they had their first win under 
London new manager Pedro Martinez Losa in a 2-0 victory over Hungary. Erin Cuthbert and Martha Thomas uh, on the score sheet. And of course they were without Caroline Weir, Lisa Evans, Lucy Graham and Kirsty Smith who all had to drop out of the squad uh, with injury. I mean, bearing in mind the Faroe Islands lost 10-0 to, to Spain earlier on in the week. I think the, uh, the crowd at Hampden Park are going to be treated to some goals. Yeah, I think Scotland have played a few games there recently. I think they played Jamaica in the build-up to the Women's World Cup and they got a really good crowd. I think that was their record-ever attendance at Hampden Park. So I hope there's a really good crowd there tomorrow night. I think all in all, this season, it feels like women's football fans are still easing their way into things. I'm intrigued to see how many come to Wembley next month for that Northern Ireland game. I think it's the 23rd of October at Wembley. I'd like to see a really strong crowd there. As Tom mentioned, 8,500 at St Mary's, which was actually, I think, more than I thought. I was thinking maybe there might only be about 5,000. Really good crowd, really loud crowd. Um, but I still want to see good double digit digits at a lot of these games because these players deserve it. And I think... With two years with no fans, it's it's really tough for these players. And women's football was in such a good place when it came to attendances. And you don't want to see it take so long to climb back up yeah, to that because it's a slog otherwise. Yeah, it really is. It'll be interesting to see how many are at Windsor Park tomorrow night as well for Northern Ireland's match against uh, Latvia. They were 4-0 winners over Luxembourg earlier on in the week. Uh, good start in England's group, as, as you mentioned, Flo. Uh, Marissa Callahan, Rachel Furness obviously who else Emily Wilson and Lauren Wade all scoring of course for, for Northern Ireland and Luxembourg are England's opponents on, on Tuesday night Flo what are you expecting from Serena Wiegmann for this one is she going to be making changes or, or sticking to that winning formula she was asked about changes today. I mean, she has a very strong squad at her disposal and you would also think the fact that it's not going to be a, a really tough game for them, that she would make a few adjustments. But I think she's a little bit reluctant because I think she wants to get to know her best 11. So I don't think she's going to make a load of changes. Fran Kirby is available. She wasn't available on Friday night. She had a bit of a knock, but I think she sort of hinted that she probably will start. Um, someone did ask her about the goalkeeping situation and she said, uh, good try, but I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> she has she has a good sense of humour. Um, so I think we might see a lot of the same starting lineup. I don't think she's going to necessarily change it too much because I think she wants to, to build a bit of nice cohesion with a reliable group and not just change it for the sake of seeing everyone play, which I think we saw Hegarisa, her interim spell as coach. There were a lot of changes and you kind of, I kind of felt like, well, what's the point in all these changes? Because mm. you are leading up to a Olympic Games where 75% of this squad are going to be playing together. So why don't you just all play them together? Whereas it feels like Serena Wiegmann actually is kind of trying to find out her best group and then she'll make substitutions in the second half to kind of freshen things up. I think that's quite vital as well when you think about the, the new tournament that, that we spoke to Tom Gary from The Telegraph about earlier on uh, that's going to be held in, in February. That's going to be a real statement performance needed from England going into a home European championships. And as you say, knowing what your best 11 is, knowing what your best squad is, is going to be really vitally important. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and that's the, the only time we're ever going to see them get tested is in February. I mean, if that turns out to be a bad performance in that tournament, it's going to be worrying because you haven't got long then until the Euros. Certainly so there's not. a lot of pressure. Um, I hope there's going to be big attendances. Um, Tom touched on it being up north, which I think is brilliant. So, yeah, fingers crossed that turns out to be a, a, a big, big tournament for England. Absolutely. Good luck to the Lionesses and all the other home nations uh, this week with their qualifiers. Really looking forward uh, for the return of the FAWSL and Championship coming up this weekend. Just a reminder again for you, there is live commentary on the TalkSport network this Sunday for two WSL title clashes. Manchester United Chelsea is at 12.30, followed by Arsenal against Manchester City at 6.45. Flo, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, Faye. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much to super producer Flo, uh, to Tom Gary, to Emily Simpkins, and of course, all of you, as ever, for listening. Don't forget, if you do miss any of the show, download our Women's Football Weekly podcast. You can do that via the TalkSport app. Just a reminder as well, we'll be live on TalkSport 2 in our new Monday night slot, 7 till 8, so I look forward to chatting to you again uh, next week. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.